they are now, the Irish in Sweden, standing in the security uh, queue in Castrop, trying to get home to Shannon or to Dublin or to Cork, or they might be above in Orlando, wondering where they put the third and final child that they never really intended to have in the first place, but they now cost about the same as an adult. Lads, I hope you are having a great holiday so far, a great summer vacation so far, and that if you're not on a summer vacation so far, that you're at least enjoying a little bit of the downtime and the long stretch of the evenings where you can go for a walk or maybe have a beer outdoors somewhere, a cup of coffee and meet somebody and have a bit of a chat. I, as usual, am like a one-legged man in an arse-kicking contest. I can't keep up with myself. And we have a bumper podcast for you. I don't know if you looked at it now. At the time of this one, before you sat down to listen to it or before you stuck it on to walk the dog there but there's a good bit of information in this because there's going to be two interviews the first one is a little interview and then there's a good long interview in the style to which you have become accustomed um, the great thing about the summer, of course, in this part of the world is that, well, not just in this part of the world but in Ireland and everywhere else is that um, it's often a very happy time and I was delighted to see on Facebook some beautiful wedding pictures that have happened uh, from two weddings over the last little while. One was the bell Mickey Mallon, a fantastic uh, cornerback for the Stockholm Gales in his day, a wonderful golfer, huge Liverpool FC fan, and now the luckiest man in the world because he married his lovely Louise. I think they got married in Scotland there recently. I know he was asking me about all sorts of marriage licences and things. Uh, so I was delighted to see some beautiful pictures of Mickey and the boys uh, heading off to the church and then the two of them getting married a beautiful couple all together and I sent him a WhatsApp message to wish him every success and I thought that you might want to share in his joy and for a few years or maybe over here a little bit longer you will remember uh, Libby Darcy and Daniel McArlane and they would have met over here in Stockholm and sure didn't they get married in Ireland there in the last week or so and again just uh, a couple that fit together like hand and glove two lovely lovely people all together and I wish them every success and every happiness in life. They were two brilliant footballers to have, but even more than that, they were two brilliant people to have around the Stockholm Gales at that time, just really sort of genuinely interested in helping out, and two real rays of sunshine there. Dan, a little bit in the quieter side now compared to Libby. Libby's lovely altogether, but uh, Dan, anything you ever asked him to do, Dan was there, and it's a great man. If you're in trouble whatsoever on the pitch, you just give Dan the ball and he'd sort it out for you, and many's the time I did. So uh, every success to them. Um, now, if you were listening to the Global Gale podcast recently, uh, we did a re- recent uh, interview or an episode with uh, Colin Bell who's the man behind the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust and um, I was talking to various different people in the community I was just talking to Peter Miller actually down below in Malmo this evening about maybe doing some fundraising for them and of course Tara O'Neill now is back in town so I was talking to her maybe we'll do some live podcasts to try to, to raise some money for, for the charity and then I received a very sad news that our good friend Neil Costigan who has appeared in the podcast before and was actually supposed to appear again in the very near future unfortunately his brother passed away in Hong Kong and he sent me a message there during the week I was very sad to receive that you know how prescient that podcast was and you never think that you're going need it yourself until Neil found himself on on route to Hong Kong. Now I don't know if he's going to use the services of the trust, but that's what the trust is there for. And it sort of has redoubled my efforts if you like to to make the Colin Bell or sorry the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust the kind of organisation that we support solely because we don't know when we're going to need it ourselves so keep an eye out I've spoken to Peter Miller I've spoken to Tara O'Neill we will do something Uh, there will be live events I'm hoping now maybe in September or so and we'll try to combine them with raffles and everything else like that you know so we'll need a little bit of help from people down in Malibu and of course if you want to do one down in Gothenburg lads and ladies be my guest tell me point me I'll show up I'll bring the cameras I'll bring the mic 
microphones and we'll do everything uh, we'll sort it all out as we go along but again my condolences to Neil now and my congratulations to the two happy couples just shows the whole circle of life there in the Irish community listen something else that might be mildly life changing uh, is an open call that went out recently and that will be the subject of our first little interview here today right so an open call went out in the architecture community and it's looking for Irish architects and Swedish architects for a project that is called Trading Spaces right it's a Dublin Stockholm exchange and I'll just read you very very quickly uh, what the the whole thing is about this is the first paragraph on their website about the Trading Spaces open call Uh, Trading Spaces Resources and Dwellings is a new collaboration between the Irish Architecture Foundation and Five Fabriken in Stockholm set up to support early career architects and practitioners in Ireland and Sweden to exchange knowledge and experience discussing and confronting questions they face in their work and practices and lads I think we're all well aware of the housing situation back home in Ireland and anybody who has ever tried to get an apartment I think Alan Mann has had more apartments now than most people have seen in their lives uh, we're all aware of what the housing uh, situations are like and this is sort of part of an effort to address that and to use new technologies and new ways of thinking and new ideas uh, to bring that into line so the whole idea sounded fascinating to me so I got onto the embassy straight away and I said right I better find a spokesperson for that uh, and we'll see if we can get them onto the podcast to talk about it so Felix Hunter Green from the Architecture Foundation of Ireland or the Irish Architecture Foundation got back on to me he was put in touch with me by uh, Ambassador Austin Gormley and by Dorian at the embassy there and I just got him on and I could read the rest of the website to you but I'm not going to I'm going to let Felix explain it for himself and here he is now with all the information about trading spaces not trading places lads made that mistake already trading spaces is felix green to tell us all about it felix how are you i'm very good philip thanks very much for having having me on it's it's do you know what as soon as i saw this i think i saw it on linkedin and then i got in touch with the embassies going okay we have to find out about this because there was a young irish architect i know who moved over here about 10 or 12 years ago and he married another architect and is still here and i thought that was a lovely story so maybe we can do that again how does this trading spaces uh initiative work uh well it's it's an open call effectively um and it's been launched by by my organization the irish architects foundation and uh five for Birkin, they're in stockholm so there's two two cultural organizations uh and it's been funded by the the irish embassy in stockholm and it's it's an open call so so we're seeking up to, to three architects uh in in both countries who who will send to to, to each other's countries to to make uh collaborative partnerships for the future and, and to trade knowledge and, and skills effectively mm. um yeah. What what what's your own experience of Swedish architecture and that kind of thing? Is this for building homes? Is it for building offices, train stations, petrol stations? What kind of thing do you expect them to be working with in the future? <laughs> so, so my own experience is, is very slight. It's very slight. Um, I have a bit of experience of of uh, launching open calls, uh, but you know it's going to be a learning experience for myself as well. Um, we are looking for for architects who who work with with dwelling spaces. Um, now it, it started off with, with housing, so obviously there's a, there's a housing shortage in in Ireland, and and there's a similar challenge I believe in 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 Sweden as well. Um, but we wanted to keep it a little bit broader than that, uh, so we've opened it up into to a bit more of a nebulous sense of 
dwelling spaces, you know, architects who, who work with creating spaces for people to live in. Um, how will it work? Because are you asking them to come over here and hit the ground and say, okay, go look at stuff, go find things and come back to me with a design that can be implemented in Ireland if it's a Swedish or an Irish architect coming over here or in Sweden if it's a Swedish architect going to, to Ireland? Is that how it's going to work or how do you see it working? <laughs> no. um, we're asking for the architects themselves to pitch the, the exchanges, really. So if, for example, you're you know you're an emerging architect in in Dublin, who's been working with a material in a new way or, or a building practice in a new way. And you think, you know, this, this is interesting. This is, this is working for us. And um, this might be interesting to, to somebody in, you know, in, in Sweden, uh, we want to hear from you. And, and then at that point, you'll say to us, you know, we would take our, our, our Swedish cohort to, to see these buildings being built. Um, or we would like to show them our studio, or we'd, we would like to show them part of the landscape that we feel we've, you know, we've we've learnt, uh, we've learnt something about in, in working working in it. Um, so we're really leaving it up to, to the teams themselves and the architects themselves to to propose the activities and and how they would share it with with their counterparts. Mm. Yeah, we want to hear from from them from you. Cool. In practice, what does that mean? Are they going to move over here and live like monks for 10 years designing away somewhere? Or is it going to be sort of short and sharp study visits, meeting up with each other in these different places? Yeah, um, it's going to be it's going to be short. It's going to be three days. Oh, they can live like monks if they, if they, if they want. If that's I would sincerely doubt that's going to happen. But, <laughs> but um, no, it'll be a three day, a three day trip. So uh, it's been very generously funded by by the DFA. Uh, by by the ambassador, um, and that funding will cover travel, uh, accommodation, and there'll be a small budget for for activities as well, mm -hmm. uh, for for the teams of architects to to spend on on site visits, for example, um, whatever they come up with. Um, but it's, it's effectively yeah, travel expenses, accommodation mm -hmm. is covered. If you zoom out a little bit uh, and take a look at your work with the Irish Architecture Foundation, you mentioned there the dwellings are the big thing, right? Um, I think the the, the issues uh, around housing and housing shortages in Stockholm are, and and in Ireland are sort of, you know, they're the same, but they're different. There's a shortage of supply in there and that kind of thing. But then you also have uh, sustainability. You have the idea of doing more with less that everybody's trying to do at the moment. What do you expect to be the trends? What are you really hoping that people come up with, Felix? Is there a sort of a magic bullet in Swedish architecture or indeed in Irish architecture that you see among these young people that might solve this problem or, or you know, play a big role in solving this problem for both countries? No, honestly, we're coming at it pretty, pretty honestly from the point of issuing an open call in that we don't have anything in particular in mind that we think... You have no predetermined outcome that you want, like, you know, that these guys are going to come back with modular housing or something you can smack up in two weeks. No, there's nothing in, nothing in mind for, from, from our point of view so far. Um, I mean, we're, we're working on the basis that we're sure that there are um, findings being made in both countries um, that will be a benefit to, to either country. Um, the, yeah, the output that we're, we're really looking for is, is, is like effective collaborations um really and, and building good good new partnerships between between organizations hmm. um, what is irish architecture very strong on at the moment in terms of you know building dwellings and that kind of thing do you see any trends there that you think okay you know uh, i i would expect other countries maybe to pick these things up as they go oh 
That's a good question. And Philip, I have to admit, I'm, I'm not an architect myself. I'm, a, yeah. I'm an art, art organizer. But, it's awful um, of me putting you on the spot like that. But I was just wondering, because you know the way when there's so much debate around these things, and one of the things that I've been looking at lately in Sweden is that idea of modular housing, where basically your house comes on the back of a truck, and they give you, you know, it's typical, it's like a flat pack thing, and they go, okay, build that, you know. Is that, you know, where, you know, where, where Irish architecture is going in terms of what you see in the foundation rather than the actual sort of design of these things? I mean, I, I know I know there are proposals and there are discussions. I, I was actually involved in an exhibition called Housing Unlocked last year, which was another open call, mm -hmm. which was just for, for Irish practices to propose kind of solutions or, or remedies for the for the housing, Irish housing crisis. Um, and one of those was, uh, in fact, two of the eight projects we we selected were modular housing type projects. Um, now, there isn't a huge there isn't a huge practice of it right now in in ireland and there's a bit of um prejudice against the idea of you know prefabs from you know bad bad experiences in the past and kind of schoolhouses and these drafty buildings um but there's certainly interesting and intelligent practices who who are working with it with with the idea of modular uh modular housing um because it can be delivered at speed and and on mass and using sustainable materials um sustainable materials which can be regenerated in in Ireland, um, so it's certainly on on people's minds. Um, I don't think it's a huge huge movement yet, but it's 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 in the background there. Yeah, there's people. Actually, there's a, yeah, that, that is a that is a good example, I suppose, of of a type of practice who you know we'd love to we'd love to hear from. How do people go about taking part in this open call? Because the website that I have, it's on architecturefoundation.ie. Uh, and it says trading spaces open call. Um, what do they need to do? What do they need to present to you? Because I'm assuming that you can't just go, hey, I'm an architect, I fancy a trip to Stockholm, or uh, I'm a Swedish architect and I fancy a trip to Dublin. What, how do they prove to you that they're worth a shot at this? It's, actually, it's pretty simple. It's, it's just a Google form. So, so you follow the link on the website. Mm -hmm. um, it'll take you to a Google form. You'll have to put in your, your email address. And then uh, it's a couple of, you know, 250 word word answers. You know, how have you how have you been working with with issues related to the project theme? You know, why do you think you're a good candidate? Uh, how would you share your work with with a contingent from from Sweden or from Ireland? Um, and then we're asking for a very short, um, very short, very simple video, just introducing yourself and, and kind of going over similar stuff, but in a, in a spoken form, uh, just so we can get a get a sense of people. Really, and, and it's as simple as that. The the deadline's the the twenty first of July, mm -hmm. so there's a few weeks left um, from the point I suppose we're recording this. Um, that's it, really. It's as simple as that. I see on the website here that the, the announcement of results is going to take place in early August. The planning phase will be in August and September. And then the exchanges themselves, the visits to Dublin and to Sweden, will take part uh, will take place in September and November. In terms of experience, Felix, because there's a, I think it said somewhere on the website that it's people who have between two and ten years of experience, right? So it's not people who just, you know, put on their hat and gown now and receive their degree straight away. They need to have a little bit of experience if they're applying to this, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, so we we kind of want people to be able to show a bit of work in progress in theory. You know, if there's a if they have a, a very interesting prototype or a very interesting um, practice that doesn't have something physical to show, that's that's going to be okay as well. Like we'll accept all all of those applications like willingly. Um, I'm going to send like... you a beer mat in the post now with the drawing or drawing <laughs> yes. on the back of it. <laughs> yeah, the napkins. 
Yeah, there's, there's a napkin upload, actually, section on the website. Excellent, excellent. That'll save you the cost <laughs> of the stamp. I love to hear it. Um, just uh, one final question, right? Because this is one of those things where you'll have a load of lads listening to this and go, oh, brilliant, yeah, I'm going to do that because everybody needs to hear what I have to say. And a load of girls listening to this going, I couldn't possibly do that. Who do you need to hear from? Who hasn't been represented in last year's open call? Who are the people that you would really like to hear from who maybe don't think that you know they have anything to say around this? Yeah, I, I think it actually... Just go back to your previous question on that, and it, it is emerging practices. So we've set set it to between two and ten years as a as an emerging practice, like early early career architects is, is what we're looking for, um, because we want to make this opportunity available for people who uh, who might not have the funds within the organisation to do this kind of research exchange on their own. You know, a larger firm um, with a huge huge resources would be able to do this themselves we want to be able to like start these relationships early um and hopefully they become like long-term um you know knowledge exchange relationships between these between these practitioners in both countries uh, so we we want to hear from early career architects i guess Early career architects in small practices, not these huge multinational lads who can fire them off around the world to learn whatever they want to learn on a whim, you know, so anybody who's out there doing that. Um, the final question, the very final question, will you come back on the podcast when you have a couple of these architects? Because we'd be fascinated to find out, you know, maybe jump the gun a little bit on what the conclusions are. So uh, we'll, we, may t- uh, we may hold you to that. But Felix, thank you very much indeed for coming on to the Irish and Sweden podcast and sharing that. And we shall share it as widely as we possibly can so that you get plenty of early career architects uh, putting in for this open call thank you thank you very much here you go that was felix green there explaining about the open call for trading spaces get your protractors out now and your compass and sharpen you as our pencils and i am well aware lads that they don't do that anymore but they certainly did it when i did technical drawing and mechanical drawing back in the christian brothers school in art school region dublin and i was brutal at it uh, a man for the words not so much for the numbers it has to be said so yeah that's all there i shall stick a link in the show notes hopefully if i remember sometimes i promise that and then sometimes i forget it but you know, I'm getting on in years, you know. Uh, I shall do that. Next up, lads, we are going to the west coast of Sweden. But before that, let me remind you that this is a listener-supported podcast. It's a community-supported podcast. It only exists because you lovely people, the Irish in Sweden, the Swedish-Irish community do. If you want to support it, patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm is the way to go. Uh, if you prefer to do your business via Swish, one two three two four two four one six six that'll get you in there and that will get you every that basically gets you everything for free anyway because all the podcasts are free to air i've always said that uh, i don't put anything behind a paywall because money should be never uh, an object to enjoy in the content i remember what it was like to be struggling for a few quid here when i was trying to get myself started here as a young man so uh, yeah i want to keep everything as available as possible you have this podcast you have the global gale podcast which is going to focus a lot on the women's world cup that's coming up a few great interviews coming up on that and last week actually i had or on saturday's episode i Rihanna Jarrett who's actually played for Ireland under Vera Pau so she gave some great tactical insight if you're into soccer and that kind of level of soccer as well but she also talked about her time playing abroad and the injuries she suffered and that kind of thing as well fascinating conversation then you have the Premier Swedes podcast and you have the Ironman in Stockholm podcast they're not as regular as the Global Gale and Irish and Sweden but they're there one way or another and you can have it all for a five or a month you can throw in a few bob via swish you can leave me money in your will you can do whatever you like right but the more people that support it the better 
better. And again, the reminder that I will be coming to companies around, Irish companies around Sweden now in the latter half of the year. So if you want to have a chat with me, please do get in touch. Now, one man who got in touch with me just as he moved over here is the man that you're going to hear from today. Uh, Anthony Morrissey is just an incredible individual. I've mentioned him on the podcast before, and I sat down with him in Gothenburg back in the springtime, or the late winter, early spring, and we just sat down in Gothenburg and had a drink. I think I was down there working on some football match or other, and uh, we sat down, and just a powerful character altogether. Extremely intelligent, extremely warm, extremely funny fella, extremely talented, and he's come over here, and he's been here for the last sort of 14 months or so, getting stuck in and getting himself set up, and in a way, he reminds me of a lot of us who would be either listening to this or taking part in this podcast in terms of you know in terms of getting started here and what he's trying to do and the lessons that he's learned in that so I wanted to talk to him about what brought him over here his fairly unique family situation and where his business is going what he can do for people he's involved in all sorts of marketing events project management you name it this lad can do it right and I've mentioned him before I want you to listen to this conversation and if you're in any way involved in business or consulting or marketing or event management or project Project management. Think about this fella, right? Have this lad top of mind when you get out of the hammock now at the end of July or the start of August and you go back to work because this is the fella you need to really get you going. He's working away on the language and that kind of thing and in no time at all he's going to be fluent in Swedish. But for now, he's just he's he's got so much energy and such a desire to get himself established here that like get in on the ground floor lads because soon enough it's going to be hard enough to get hold of him because that's how successful this fella is going to be i really hope you enjoyed this conversation half as much as i did talking to it and here he is all the way from best Kusten, the west coast of sweden and gothenburg anthony morrissey from county wicklow via munster rugby in one way it seems like ages ago since you moved here and yet in another way it seems like only yesterday when did you actually come to sweden full time yeah i came over i came over in the first week of may last year and you're right it does feel like i keep on telling people i i'm only recently moved to sweden when in fact i'm here nearly 14 months so yeah it's a it's a strange one it's 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 an interesting an interesting time when i came over in, in may last year so now it's I'm officially, as I said, over the year hump. I can't complain anymore. I need to understand what a feek is and all that kind of stuff. I can't. That, even that's it. There's no excuses it. anymore. There's, you no, know, there's that's, not. That's it. You're here. You're staying here. That's it. Um, we met down in Gothenburg a little while ago, and it was one of those things where you're just one of the easiest and most energetic people to talk to in the whole country. And you told me sort of a fairly amazing story of how it was you came to be here. So uh, could you just explain to people who are listening why yourself and your partner decided to move to Sweden when you did? Yeah, so my my son has a um, my son Theo is the light of my life. He's three and a half, nearly well. If I said it was three and a half, he'd kill me because he's four in October. He'd four make sure in October. Tell me, tell me that. That's the, that's the most important part. But he uh, was born with a very rare medical condition called Mebius syndrome. Very very rare condition that he was actually only the seventh child ever uh, in the history of Ireland to get it. A uh, very rare condition that connects you with your nerves and your neck and etc. So he was he was born with that, and we in the middle of COVID, of course, why not? You know, so we had the joy then of uh, of looking into what we were going to do, and we we had a conversation with myself and my wife. And I dragged her from we'd met in London. I dragged her over to Ireland to to work uh, for me or work with me uh, when I was in Ireland at Munster, and to go from that then I said, you know what, we've been in Ireland for ten and a half years, eleven years this is a chance for me to look into going back to Sweden. And we happened to come over on a visit 
and uh, we we had found it very difficult in Ireland to find somebody who knew Mebia syndrome uh, in 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 Ireland. And we came over to Sweden and we went to Gothenburg up to the hospital just just to kind of see if they knew more. And it was a professor guy came down down the corridor to us and literally was like, "Yeah, yeah, your son has this kind of Mebia syndrome. And he's got this. He's got that." And uh, it pretty much cemented our thoughts on coming to Sweden that this was the best chance to to give my son a real opportunity. Um, and also then just to, to bring my wife back to back to Sweden and, and get all those things and put the pressure onto her then to speak the language and all that kind of stuff. So that was where that was where my my joyful I could I could put my hands in the air and complain about stuff in Sweden, which she used to be able to be do in Ireland. I'll tell you a quick story. My my wife used to always say to me, Oh, in Sweden, when she was talking about stuff when we were living in Ireland, so like in Sweden this wouldn't happen or whatever. So when we moved to Sweden within the first week. I counted myself five times saying, in Ireland, this wouldn't happen. So I'm getting my own back. It's, that, little, that little taste of revenge is everything oh, sometimes. Oh, it's beautiful. It? Beautiful. Could you, beautiful. Just, you mentioned this uh, this syndrome that Theo has. Could you just explain uh, how that manifests itself? Because as you say, only the, he was only the seventh case in Irish history, right? So you can kind of forgive the health service a little bit if they didn't really know what they were doing. But how does that manifest itself in his daily life, uh, Anton? So basically, the, the big thing with Theo, Mebius is a, is a massive syndrome. So imagine the, this thing called glass glass eye, where, where kids, you could throw uh, coffee on them and the kid wouldn't react externally, but internally would. And um, Theo would be a little bit down the, down the parameters of that, but it's connected with all your nerves. So you've got 12 nerves in your, in your neck um, and they're all obviously connected to your brain cells. And each nerve dictates different things. So let's say nerve number one would connect your eyeballs moving left and right. Um, nerve number two might be able to do your throat. Nerve number three would do different parts of your, your tongue, etc. So what it did is of the 12 nerves, he would have had around four that would have been a little bit malformed, um, which basically means then that he can't move on the right-hand side. He can't move his eyes left to right. Um, and then he would have difficulty speaking. So he's non-verbal at the moment because his tongue doesn't have the ability to speak. So when he was first born, um, he would have had a very difficulty to swallow. So the biggest problem that Theo would have had, we'd have had to suction him around 10 to 15 times a day and um, with a little suction machine that we would have had. Um, and he would have found it very difficult to, to um, breed, to eat, to drink, to swallow. But because the kid is a miracle in my eyes, he's, uh, he's taught himself different things. Like, for example, he couldn't swallow, but he worked out really at a really young age with his finger. And if he put his finger in his mouth and acted like it was his tongue, his brain would react to that and he'd be able to swallow then. Now, no one taught him that. No one showed him that, including me or his mother. Neither of us. He taught that himself uh, under the age of one. Um, and it's just, for me, it's a, it's a, an example for anyone out there of, of kids that they will find ways to do things. And he does it every single day. Now, don't get me wrong. He wrecks my head on certain points in the gates, like any kid does under the age of four. He won't go to bed when he wants to. He plays up to his syndrome sometimes. But it's, it's an, an amazing scenario with him. For us, we went from having a conversation with doctors where we were told he'll never, ever walk. He'll never, ever talk. He'll, he'll be on a, on, a, on a nose tube for probably the rest of his life. So now he's going to first school him. He, um, he eats by himself. He drinks by himself. We, we just cut up the food a little bit more than a, a normal child at three. And he was at inverted commas. Um, and we were getting to the point where he's starting to communicate talking wise. So he's saying mama and dada. And he's, uh, he, 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 does, he does a lot of sign language. Um, which, interestingly, for people out there, the sign language in Ireland and the sign language in Sweden is completely different, mm. which is confusing in itself. But uh, he has all those those amazing abilities to do that. And it's it's a it's it's something that 
before I had a child, I would have always said, oh, yes, children are, are great and it's fantastic. But you don't realize it until you're actually in the middle of something like this that you realize how unbelievably blessed you are um, to, to have someone like to have him, someone like him in my life and to have him uh, him flourish as well as he's doing. Do you get a lot of help? You mentioned our professor there. In the ho- I'm guessing, was it Saul Ganska, the hospital? That yeah, Saul Ganska, yeah. yeah. And th- that, that professor that sort of, you know, came out and said, yeah, no, I know all about this. Was that actually any use to you? Because sometimes I'll say something like that. I go, well, I'm not helping you anyway, you know, because there's <laughs> no way into the system for you. <laughs> no, I think I think what it didn't, what was funny about it was that we then thought when we flew over that the first day we'd meet him. And of course, that's not the way any system works. What I will say is sensational. And people, I think, who've been in Sweden for a long time may take this for granted, is the 1177 system. Hmm. Because it allows us to go and, and be able to have those meetings and get meetings set up within within Sweden, which may not have been there in Ireland. Now, the healthcare that you get is probably the same in both countries. Hmm. What's different about Sweden is that you get probably more access to more people and get access to more opportunities. Now, I will say this. Uh, summertime in Sweden locks down completely, which is entertaining compared to to what it was in Ireland but what I will say is that when you are within the system when you have your your personnel number when you are part of it you do get so much more opportunities to meet different levels of it and again systems that are there as I said at the start Theo's only the seventh child in Ireland to get medias but therefore the community in Ireland is smaller in Sweden it's a lot higher um, and it allows the, the hospitals to be able to introduce us to different people whose kids have also got medias so we found that the the real benefit isn't necessarily from the doctors and nurses. It's from meeting different people who will be able to sit down with you and go, actually, do you know what? Just be careful when he's going to school. Don't forget this, this, and this. And mm-hmm. make sure when he's um, when he's 10 or 11, this is what we did with our daughter or our son that helped him at that age that you may not be thinking of. So those are the benefits, I think, for his parents that we can sit there and go, yeah, do you know what? That's a, that's a massive benefit for us. What kind of a young flea is he? Apart from, you know, you mentioned that he wrecks your head and that kind of thing. Is he energetic? Is he, I know you have a huge interest in rugby. Does that kind of thing interest him at all? No, he hates sport. Oh, he no. Is a massive music fan. Absolute massive music fan. Music is his thing. So the drums, guitars, everything. Music is his thing. And it's it's amazing to watch him um, when he when he gets in, but listen to music. So I think it's on a Monday night, Lotte from Lotteberg. Uh, he gets a Monday night program on, on SVT and he just he engrosses himself. In it. And I, I'll say this for him. It's not the kiddies music. We're talking about jazz. We're talking about the Beatles. We're talking about Rolling Stones. He's listened to Foo Fighters. He doesn't like dad's music, which, look, that's fair enough. You're but, a dad. He's never going to like that. He's never going to like me anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I talk before five, though. He might. But anyway, um, so he listens to all those different things and he gets, he loves being part of that music scene in his head. Um, and he, he like, he plays a little bit on, like, we've got him a little small guitar and play a little small bit of piano. And he plays a bit of that. And we don't know where that came from because it's not really from my side of the family or, or my wife's. But it's, it's just, that's his, that's his kind of, I wouldn't say it's his release, but it's his go-to. And um, would be music, and also then reading books. He just loves really. Like, <laughs> you you might get this. I don't know if it's a Swedish thing or it's just an Irish thing. But I love like most most blokes that I know love spending time on the toilet, right? Reading a book, reading their phone, just relaxing. It's their time to relax. And my son, aged three and a half, has taken that to the extreme, where he'll go to the potty and sit there and read his books. That's his that's his escape valve. That's his me time. 
Yes, and, and he even tells us close the door, like leave, like he does a sign for leave and and go. That's he needs to be alone for those whatever five ten minutes. And you could hear him through the door, uh, reading like obviously not verbalization of the words, but he's la 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 la, la as if he's doing the words. So it's mm. it's fantastic to listen to. It's incredible. Like I say, until you actually have children and that kind of thing are involved with them, you don't actually realise they can have that much personality, even at that sort of early age, you know. Um, you mentioned before that he's kind of your hero, you know. What is it yeah. do you find most impressive about him? Is it that ability to find ways to do things that people just don't think that he should be able to do? I think what I what I find him immensely, well, I'm immensely proud. I'm proud of him anyway. But what I find immensely impressive about him is that he doesn't seem to take these setbacks personally and it sounds weird I know he's under the age of four maybe hopefully it won't impact him as he goes older but he's able to find ways around so for example we were very worried when he was going to first school that this is going to be very difficult because he wasn't going to be able to communicate with kids and not a bother he not doesn't bad. necessarily need to talk to kids in his head I'm fine I'll, I'll sit here and I'll read my books I'll play in the sand I'll do this and what I find for everyone like he's gone through three operations he's gone through quite a lot of severe trauma in his life and it's just next day and he wakes up with a with a different kind of mindset to what it is. And the, the the best example is the finger example that he taught himself how to do that. He he's taught himself sign language. He's very much an independent kid for someone who has gone through so much. And it doesn't seem to phase him. He he seems to have that mentality that I just think is impressive. And it's something that I've used in my own life. When you have bad times, you just sit there and go, Well, God, I didn't have three operations. I can speak. I can do all these things. I I can run if I really want to i can go to the shops if i want to um, and i'm looking at him and he just seems to just plow on um and i've a very we're very close a very close relationship with him i'm delighted um to have been able to give him the chance to speak with him and talk to him and get this kind of relationship going with him because it's it's vital um but you said something very interesting as well about until you're in, involved with kids that you don't realize and i, I i'll tell you a story and it's, it's going to look bad on me a little bit but it's something that i want people who are listening to this to probably understand as well I remember watching a, I'm a big Munster rugby fan, as you said. I remember Munster were playing a semi-final away from home in a, in a cup game. This was before Theo was born. I think my thinking I might even be pregnant. I remember sitting there, I went into the pub to watch it in, in Cork. And I was like, oh, I've got to watch this game now. Focus on this game. It's really important. And this father came in with his two kids. And the kids would have been 17, 18. And the kid, one of the kids had obviously got special needs. And I was like, oh, please let him not sit with I really want to focus on the game. I don't want to. I don't want. And I remember it stuck with me ever since that that father, uh, was having not would not having a clue, but the father was watching the game as well. The son was watching the game, and it just got it got to me after everything that happened to you. That I look back and go, you need to take into consideration every part of the conversation. So you need to realize what everything is involved with the with the with the child. So yes, the child comes first, and the needs of the child comes first, but so does the parents, and. I've learned so much from that, that I, I sat there with some charities that I used to deal with when I worked for Munster. And it was very much an idea of what's best for not just the the the, the child, which is very important, but also the overall family. So we were trying, at Munster, we were trying to bring people to games on the QT for the, for the kid. We'd make sure that the mother and father came too as well. So that they experienced everything along with, with the kid. And it was uh, it was definitely something that I've, I've learned from, I've developed from, my friends have developed from, to have a different mindset towards kids with special needs now than they would have had potentially beforehand. Mm. Um, and then I, I, I've i used the word special needs twice there. I don't like that word, actually, because it's it's every kid has issues. Every kid has problems. Uh, it's just the levels between each one. And um, now, in saying that, if I brought Theo to watch a rugby game with me in the pub, he would probably listen to the national anthems and then he'd be gone. That would be him done. 
That's it. No interest after that. Like none, none. Don't care. I, Munster won the URC a couple of weeks, a couple of months back. Daddy was on the ground crying, and literally Tia was looking at me, going, "What is wrong with you? Like, you what? Well, like, you're such, <laughs> you're such an embarrassment, completely." Not even four years of age, and he's already ashamed. Of you. Is that? Oh, he, he, he can do the sigh. He can go. Oh, I've already got that experience already. It's tremendous. But it is, it's interesting what you say there because often, you know, if you're sitting on a bus or if you're sitting in a pub or in a restaurant and that kind of thing, and you see not just a child, you know, who has, you know, other needs and that kind of thing, but just a child coming in at all. And we sit there going, oh, geez, I hope they don't sit there beside me, you know. I'm a great man for the noise, hands canceling headphones if I can get them on. But, but the thing is that, you know, this is a society and they're as much as a part of it as you or me or anybody else or Munster Rugby or, or, or you know, the, the Beatles or anybody, you know. And that whole idea, I do think that, you know, what fascinates me about the way you talk about him, Anthony, is the fact that you, you've learned so much from your son. And it kind of should have been the other way around. He should be yeah. your hero kind of thing if we go according to what's normal in inverted yeah. commas, but it's actually the other way around. Come here to me. Another fascinating thing about your journey, if you like, to Sweden has been the fact that you hit the ground running here, right? You weren't waiting on anybody to start up. So you were still working for Monster Ruby in terms of their commercial partnerships, their marketing, their sponsorships, their communications. And um, then you ran into trouble with our good friends at Skattevakit, didn't you? Has that sorted itself out now? I, I, like, have you, how, how is your employment situation and the idea of being employed or running a business? Or how do you manage to get a few quid in so you can keep the food on the table? Yeah, first of all, Scott and Becky and me are besties. You know, we're best mates now. I have no contact in there. Um, not a no, bad word to say about them. Not, not, not fucking publicly they're, anyway. They're probably listening to me in the corner. No, I, I, again, it probably comes down to the naivety. And again, if somebody is listening to this podcast in Ireland who are thinking of coming to, uh, to Sweden or Scandinavia, what I would advise them straight away, if you're bringing over your own business, is to do a lot more research than I did. Um, I just assumed European country to European country, Italy grand, mm. and a typical Irish man getting in the plane. What plane, could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> just give me my money. I'll give you money. Everyone's happy. Just do a little bit more research. And when I when I got here, I understood a lot more around why it was to do with the COVID situation that a lot more Swedes were coming home, but we're we're getting tax, we're paying tax abroad, mm. and understandably that was putting a lot of pressure on the healthcare system and other systems within Sweden. So they changed that rule, and um, the year before I came. And it means that you have to set up your own business and that the business had to pay tax in Sweden. So I then set up my own business to work around with Munster. It took me then four months uh, to get really set up and going. Um, and I was able to then work with Munster. And what I realized from that is that I was able to do a little bit of my business on the on the side of it. So a lot of my background would have come around, as you said, marketing, marketing promotions, but also around the events side. So running events for Munster globally. So Munster would have done a lot more um, of events in New York, in Dublin, Dubai, London. And I'd have ran all them for them. So I was helping them out at the end. But when it came to the end of that, that contract, I think Munster and myself both kind of went, look, I think it's it's best for you to start moving on with what you want to do. I mean, being there 11 and a half years, they needed somebody on the ground in, in, in Ireland. And what I found from it, I said, put an email or a LinkedIn post up and said, look, I'm now... Businesses here in Sweden. If anyone's interested, be it a, be it a small sports club, be it a SME that wants to get into sport and, and promotion, and I got some kickback from it. I got some nice kickback from it, and I've got a couple of small clubs in Ireland who I'm working with, and I've got one one club in in Sweden that I'm working with, um, so hopefully I'm working with that. It gives me a little bit of quid coming in into the business, and then as Skatavecki are delighted because now I've got more than one customer, they're delighted with me. I'm able to start growing that. I think the long term goal for me would be to have 
a business business Sweden and then I have the business in Ireland as well and it, it works together so in essence what I'd be doing for for clubs and and, and small organizations will be I'd become their commercial department and look at the sponsorship deals what it is because what I've noticed is a lot of sports clubs including Sweden and in Ireland they usually have some guy who is an accountant from up the road is their commercial guy and they'll do a sponsorship deal with somebody and they don't really know what they're giving giving back and they don't know what they're getting so what I've tried to do is commercialize a, commercialize that for them and explain the benefits of what they can get out of it. So, for example, if you're a small little basketball club, for example, in Gothenburg, then you can turn and say, yeah, we're going to give a sponsorship to these guys. This is the money you're going to get from them. And this is what you give them back. And the reason you're going after them is because they're very similar to your brand and they will be happy because they're close to your players Um parents of the, of the kids supporters coming to the team and they're different and they quirk nicely into your fit rather than here's a local Ica or here's a local coop ask them for 10 grand it'll be fine so I'm trying to make them think a little bit different of it. I'm also trying to in- introduce some nice quirky ideas into into the marketplace I must admit when I went and spoke with some of the professional sports clubs in Sweden Again, the differentiation between Ireland and Sweden, they found me a little bit, a little bit like, okay, we need to focus on on this, this, come back to us in six months and we'll we'll be interested. While in Ireland, they're a little bit more kind of going, Yeah, okay, we've seen you do this for Munster. We know who Munster Rugby is. So if you've worked for them for that period of time, then we're interested in talking to you. So that's the that's the kind of breakdown of, of where I'm sitting right now. Um, do you find those meetings difficult? Because I know you were talking to some of the big professional clubs there and you mentioned that you go in there. Do they sit there and look at you like you have two heads? Because I think you have the kind of the energy and you're on the front foot the whole time. You're going, look, I can do this for you. And sometimes that kind of get people, Swedish people or Swedish companies or Swedish clubs kind of get intimidated by that. Do you kind of get that feeling that when you walk away from a meeting and go, I oh, know they're fucking afraid of their lies, me after that. hundred percent. I, I the first one I did, there was a there was a guy who got me in, lovely guy. I won't say his name because he killed me, but lovely guy got me into a, a handball team. I won't mention a handball team. But I went in to meet him and got in the train, went to see him, got my suit on, everything was great. Walked in and I met him at the door and he was like, Take off your shirt, take off your tie, take off your tie. That's not the don't don't wear your tie in here. Okay, fine, take off your tie. Went in for the meeting and I did I had a PowerPoint presentation. I went through like 10 slides of what I would do, how I would help you, where I could see it, when I should start, when it would work, the, the money returned from it. And I just could see the guy's face just go whiter and whiter and whiter and whiter. Holy and shit. He, I, I didn't realize afterwards, but <laughs> the guy who introduced me to said afterwards, or two weeks later, he thought you were coming for his job. Because literally what you were suggesting was stuff that he should be doing. And his brain was on on fear that he was going to get kicked out of you were also doing it far I, better than he ever could I was going as well. to do his job so i sat there going okay well i need to i need to really reinvent myself as to how i go about looking at things and it's similar to what you said i then decided that the best course of action then would be just to grow my network mm-hmm. so i literally looked at all the clubs and i just looked at every irish person i could find in stockholm gothenburg and just absolutely played them with emails, played them with text messages, go try and meet these guys because I wanted to get an insight from them as to what Swedish life is like. So even when I met you and got to work, I literally wanted to find out what exactly is the, the the pain points, but also what is the tipping point that I need to, my enthusiasm, my energy, my drive, and where do I slowly come back down to where the Swedish level is so I can get that before I walk in the door. And that's probably something that I, I'm proudest the most that that's what I did first to get my network and, and grow it that way. 
Um, I noticed your name cropping up and you mentioned reaching out to Irish people, growing your network and that kind of thing, right? So as far as I know, you uh, sort of signed up with or became part of the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden as well, didn't you? Yeah. Um, how useful has that experience been? Was that one of those things that opened a lot of doors for you or at least gave you the kind of answers that you were looking for to your questions? Yeah, I, again, one of those things I, I became, a, I'm actually a board member of the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden now. Look at so, you, huh? Um, 14 you know, months yeah. of the country and the man's should, taken over. Should have seen, should have seen when I said to my friends, the abuse I got in text messages was quite funny. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm, I'm honoured to be asked to go on and become a board member of the Irish Chamber of Commerce. And, and if my, my father had to be alive, would have been probably the proudest man in the world if he'd have heard I was that. But um, it's been fantastic because it's given me two things. It's given me, I, I'm running their gala gala dinner. So their gala event is on the 2nd of December in Stockholm. Um, and I'm going to be running and managing that. So that's, first of all, a nice bit of experience and exposure to the Swedish market. Because again, they didn't know who Munster Rugby is, but they will know who a Chamber of Commerce are. Hmm. So from my perspective, when I'm able to put that onto my company website, when I'm able to promote that as this is what I did, it gets a little bit more kudos maybe as what Munster Rugby would have done. Um, and then also the people involved are just so enthusiastic and the opposite of what I would have thought a Chamber of Commerce was going to be if I'm being mm. completely honest they are we do board meetings every month they're very open to conversations about what what I'm doing how they can help me but also they want to grow the Irish network in, in Sweden and in Scandinavia and the people involved are driven successful people who who know what it's like to live in Sweden it's known it's like to come over to Sweden um, and one of the tasks I've been done is as obviously to gala dinner but also to grow the west of Sweden's um, presence for the chamber mm. uh, and not in the case of let's all go out for a beer and have a bit of crack it's the professional element side to it it's the successful Irish uh, between the ages let's say of 21 and, and 41 who have come over to Scandinavia and want to set up life and want to be successful in their businesses or when are successful in their careers so it's very much that element of, of, of the chamber that's interesting to me and again, it goes back to the idea that it grows my network and it grows my exposure and grows who I am with a little bit of legitimacy to it as well um, has this made a difference to you in terms of the amount of invoices you can send every month, right? Because an awful lot of these things, it comes down to the bottom line. If you have an engagement in something that is voluntary, that's great and that. But at some point, somebody has to pay you. Like, you know, Tio needs to eat, your family needs to eat, you know. So has it helped you in that way to find new customers, to find new opportunities? Or has it helped you, you know, to find the understanding you need to find those things? Yeah, I think that's, that's a very good question. Um, I think it's the second one rather than the first for now. I think once the gala dinner is done in December, I think it flips to the other way around because I will have got, I'll have met a lot more of the influential Irish people in December in the room. So that's a big point for me from a networking perspective. But no, the Chambers Connection really has been about lifting my profile to get to that point in December. Hmm. But it also gives me that time to make sure that the, the product that I'm selling is right. So my goal from now to December is to make sure that the product that I'm giving out is that is is going to be foolproof and checked. So I've already got that exposure behind me that I'm not very green walking in the door. So using the the customers that I have at the moment to learn from their scenarios, learn what they've told me and take that into a product. So that when I'm going in, in January, 2024 to the Swedish market, I'm not just going saying, I use work for Munster, you got to trust me, I'm now going, here's an example of a, a basketball club in Ireland. Here's an example of a Gaelic football club in Ireland. Here's an example of an app, sports app in Sweden. I've all worked for them. And I've done a gala dinner for the Irish Chamber of Commerce. Oh, and by the way, I worked for 12 years for Munster Rugby running all their commercial side of their business. That suddenly gets more kudos than, hi, I'm Anthony. I've just moved to Sweden. 
don't speak a lot of Swedish, do enough to get by, but would you employ me? So that's the, the long-term thinking I'm doing on it. Instead of going, oh, I better get a job in the next six weeks or else I'm I'm flying home to Ireland. I'm looking at this as a very long-term project. My family is Swedish. My family sees Sweden as their long-term home. Um, and that's that's something that I'm very conscious of and very driven to go and succeed. I very much believe that if you make these choices in your life, you make these decisions, the only time you go back in it is when there is no other choice. There is no other alternative. Um, and Sweden hasn't even got anywhere close to that yet. Right. There's some fantastic um, situations in Sweden. There's some fantastic um, opportunities in Sweden for anybody if you work hard and if you really dedicate yourself towards it. Uh, what's the community like down below in Gothenburg there? Because I remember when you were moving over and that, you know, th- there's always a struggle to find players for Gothenburg GAA. Paul yeah. Curley had no grey hair before Billy Finn left and he had to run everything pretty much by himself there. Do you see a lot of people there? Is there a lot of people there who can help you to get going at you, can open doors for you in that part of the world? Or is it more a sort of a social thing, a thing of learning from their experience of 5, 10, 15 years living in Sweden? I think, to be fair to the guys who I've met down here, they've been very good and tried to help me in getting open doors and stuff but they're either not in a position to do it in their businesses they work in or it's just not the right time that I've contacted them but in saying that there is a little spirit what I will say about the Gothenburg um, part of the or the Irish people in Gothenburg is we're very underground so everywhere else I've ever lived and I've lived quite a lot of places in Sydney or in New York or in London you always found the Irish were very high up and they were very energetic and they were you go anywhere and you find an Irish person it's a little bit more low-key in Gothenburg. It's a little bit more more quieter in Gothenburg, the Irish. Um, and part of what I want to do, not, not just with the Irish Chamber, but also for myself, is to help grow that. Because I think you are so, I'm sure you'll notice yourself, you're so proud of being Irish when you're not necessarily in Ireland. And hmm. um, you become more proud of, of being Irish and the culture of being Irish over here. And, and going to watch a, a Gaelic ga- Gaelic match or going to watch a hurling match or a rugby match or a soccer match, it almost means more to you when you live abroad than it does necessarily when you live in Ireland. Hmm. Um, and I'd like to see if I can help grow that community. That's a that's a goal of mine personally, to grow that community so that there is a set group of, of 30, 40 lads. Um, they won't get me playing a Gaelic football match. I'd get killed. But get all, get get those get those guys together so that there's a there's a, a unity so that when people come over they can understand and, and work into. Have you found your time there lonely at all? Because you're an extremely independent, extremely competent individual, but no man is an island, right? And there has to be a time when you go, I wouldn't mind sitting here and having a pint with somebody and just venting about the frustration of Skatavakit or trying to get me a personal number or trying to open a bank account or trying to work out the Vest Trafic app or whatever the hell's going on. So has it been, have you experienced in that? Or is that one of those things that maybe Theo's taught you, just put your head down and keep going because this too will pass? Mix your boat. I think I'd be a liar if I said I didn't. There, there was a there was a couple of moments where you you're sitting there going, it's dark outside, really early, it's it's cold. I'm I'm not really, it's not the same culture. I'm the TV station isn't the same. Uh, it may be a big sports game back in Ireland that uh, there's nowhere finding access to watching. Um, it could be that, and and you do sit there and you feel wallow for yourself a little bit. But then I look at my two kids and I go, Jesus, get over yourself, um, and get up and get and get on. You've no choice. I, I think, again, it's the learnings I would have got going back to the very start, learnings of what I got from Theo, which was, it's all well and good, you having a moan and complain and, 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 and all poor me and woe it's me. But the mantra I use is the sun will come up the next day 
whether you find it or not or how you find it is up to you but the sun is up there so if there's loads of clouds and dark clouds and rain in front of it it's up to you to try and get past that and find where the sun is um, and that's the mantra I've lived in my life uh, so the mantra I live in Gothenburg to go keep every day I wake up where is the sun how can you find the sun Where's the sun? The bell Christy Dignam who passed away recently had a song called that and my God, it was fairly decent advice, you know. You mentioned there a little while ago about the product, right? By d December, the 2nd of December, the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden is going to have its gala dinner. I think Mark Little was the keynote speaker this year and God knows if I know you well enough, I know you're going to top that, right? But you mentioned having a product ready after that then for when your network has grown to the extent that you want to. What's that going to be, right? Do you want to, like, how important is it that what you do is involved in sport, right? Because Munster Rugby has been, you know, for a dozen or more years, been such a huge part of your life, maybe even before that as well. So is it very important to you to be in the commercial side of sport or are you kind of open to doing other things in event management and, and marketing and that kind of thing as well? I'm open to both. I think my experience comes from the knowledge of sport and the importance where sport fits. And um, that's probably the, the, the instinctive reaction to that when, when SMEs contact me. But also, I also understand that it's what the SME wants. So my conversation will be about having a talk to the people within your SMEs. And sometimes it's just to grow their staff, to keep their staff on board. So it's about understanding what the staff is. So a lot of these event companies that I've dealt with will look at the big companies and the bigger pictures and the, the larger companies like your Volvos, et cetera, because that's where they see the money. Hmm. I see myself as being engaged with the little guy and understanding to them that they can make a commercial exposure, whether that's financial commercial exposure or by keeping their staff happy, which will result in longer term growth for the organization by doing the little things really, really well. So whether that's connected into sport, where, for example, you're sponsoring a local a local club or a local individual player and he, he or she is growing with you, that's going to be a massive benefit for you if you get that right. Or if you're looking at a staff growth, a staff retention perspective, what is it that makes the staff enjoy their Christmas party? What is it? It's not a Christmas party. What is it they like? Is it that they like that their company is connected to a local sports club and that sports player comes into them every Friday for a coffee? Or is it that they like the idea of going somewhere that they have no idea where they're going and suddenly they arrive somewhere and it's great fun? Or is that the complete opposite of what they like? My, my AMSC, which is a company I've set up, what I want to have is I want to have a customer base that understands that they can grow and I can help them grow in a period of time between three months and 12 months, three months and five years so that they're growing with me. The best example I could give is there's a company back in Cork who set up as a small little band, two-man band, and Munster Rugby never contacted them, but a small little Gaelic football club in Cork contacted them. And that company went on to be a multi, 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 million pound company was sold off to an Indian consortium within five years. But of course, after year three, most of the road, we contacted them going, oh, do you want to be involved with sponsorship? Do you want to be involved? And they said, no, the only people we want to sponsor is that Gaelic football club. And that's stuck in my head because that's the dream scenario for some of these clubs. And it's not as difficult to get as they think because they see some of the major banks or some of the major insurance companies and say, they've got 20 staff looking after this. We can't compete with that. When in fact you can because your USP will be completely different to what the uh, what the massive companies will do.
Um, one of the things that we looked at in Nordic GAA, right, because we have the thing of, you mentioned the, the pride, the further we get from Ireland, the more proud we are of being Irish, right? But we looked at the at Gaelic games in Ireland, or sorry, in Scandinavia as being a very Irish thing, right? But in a way, I've always felt that, that that goes against us because we're not maybe as welcoming to Swedish people and people from other cultures. Now, we obviously, nobody's going to be rude to them if they come in, but <laughs> it's still very much room for ourselves. And then on the commercial side of it, we have tended to look towards Irish bars, Irish brands, Irish companies. Is that an own goal to use the sporting parlance today? Should we be looking at something completely different? Should we be looking at a game, you know, that's almost only played by Swedish people and sponsored by Swedish companies? Because obviously that's such a much bigger market than what we have in the three to four thousand Irish people that are here. What would your professional advice be as a commercial director there? So my my instinct when, when you said that to me was imagine imagine you love fruit, but you only eat apples. So you only go and get companies who sponsor apples and you don't realize that there's loads of other types of fruit out there. What you need to do, I think, in that scenario, it's open the mindset of what it looks like. So just because a company doesn't understand the sport doesn't mean that you can't be able to explain to them the benefits of the sport and the benefits of what you're getting from it and the exposure they're going to get. So it's explaining to the brand, not we need 100,000 kroners, please give us 100,000 kroners or we're gone. It's explaining, you give us 100,000 kroners, we are convinced we can show you a pathway to you having 200,000 kroners of, of money in from that sponsorship. And it's explaining to them the pathway which they're going to get to. And then it's selling them the dream. It's selling them the scenario where they're saying, not only will we do that, but we will make sure your kids get part of Gaily GAA. We get your we get your daughter involved, your granddaughter involved. We'll have scenarios where every little things little things matter to sponsors. So for example, if you work out that your sponsor has a daughter who's 14 years old, then you send them over a jersey for a 14-year-old girl. Little things like that mean such nice things. Sending them a text message on their birthday. All those little small little add-ons make the sponsor feel part of what their community and then sell them the seed, i.e. Every Friday before the game on a Saturday, you're sending them the, team, the name of the team. You're telling them about the information that we're looking forward to. You might even do a 30-second video from the captain or 30-second video after the game from the coach saying, look, we, we lost today, but hopefully we'll do better next week if Mary is playing or Joey is playing, whatever that may be. And it's incorporating all those little little add-ons to make suddenly you're sitting at the top where your, your sponsor or your headline guy goes, well, we're renewing that contract. You are definitely renewing that contract without a shadow of a doubt. It's not even a question mark. Go and renew that contract because I want Mary to still text me. I want Joey to still contact me. I want to feel part of something that's bigger. And then if his family say, well, what is hurling? What is Gaelic football? I learned all those things. I learned what it was. It's a cool sport. They sent me all the information on it. Instead of only focusing on the 10 Irish bars who you've, they've got 400 phone calls a day from different different sports all connected to Irish people um, and they're pretty sick of us there's nothing really they're going to learn more than what they've got already and, and yet, they're, they're also going to get our money anyway right correct and then the flip side of that it may also make them realise oh, hold on they don't need us anymore oh we really want you involved please so suddenly now you're getting a headline sponsor who may be a Swedish company and you're getting a bar sponsor uh, connected to the club and now you're doubling up on the money you're going to get so it's a, it's a growth that way rather than pigeonholing yourself just looking for your apple and going I own here's the five guys and and it's it's something that all sports do it's something that all the sports I've seen in Ireland um the the uh, I haven't seen enough seen in Sweden but I've seen enough for me to to see that as well you go to any sports club 
any any underage sports club and look at all this, the advertising hordes and you'll usually see Ica, usually Coop, Villies, you'll see maybe a couple of the banks. And I, I'm always intrigued if I go and see something that's a little bit different. I'm going, okay, now either that's a direct connection to the club somehow or they've actually thought about it and gone a little bit different towards it. And they're, they're the ones that intrigue me. Off the top of your head, right, if we're not going to go to Irish bars, if we're not going to go to people who employ Irish people as Gaelic football clubs and hurling clubs, what kind of companies do you think, off the top of your head, should we be approaching? Not necessarily who should be investing in Gaelic games and that kind of thing, but, you know, if I have a soccer club, you know, who should I be looking to the sponsor? And what kind of dream do you think that I can sell them? So there's two things on it. You're looking for local local. If it's a small size club, so I live in Lodessa, which is 25 minutes north of Gothenburg, very, very small, small um, village, we would call it back in Ireland. Um, if it was them, I'd be looking at the small companies that are associated directly with them. And I would be selling the dream of, we have an under 15 team here that we hope will do really well. So you can grow with them. So in five years time, we could have somebody going off the back of that. So I'd be looking for some small, small, I wouldn't say startups, but small size operations who will invest their time as well as their money. Why? Because their money is probably their whole marketing budget. So it'll be it'll mean a hell of a lot more to them than, let's say, a massive organization who are just throwing money at you because they want you to stop bringing them. And you, you, what you want is you want the person that's engaged in it because what you want is those guys to feel that, oh, I'm part of this. And then when they go play around the golf with their four mates and their clients, they will then say, oh, yes, we're such a big company. We sponsor this club. Now you're getting more exposure about your club and who they are. Then you can start doing other elements on the off the back of that that just adds to that remix of it. The big thing that, that worries people is that they automatically say, I want this much, this figure. This is the figure I want for my sponsor. We need this figure. I would re revisit that. I would go, what do you need that figure for? So if you're the club, do you need a new set of jerseys, new set of balls, new set of kit, and to pay the registration fees? Okay, that's 100,000 crowns. Okay, that's not what you should be looking for. You should be looking for $200,000 because then you've got a buffer in between mm. the two. And if, if that can get done by one, one, one perfect sponsor, brilliant. If that gets done by five or six, then you work a way of doing that. So whether you get somebody to sponsor the halftime draw, somebody to sponsor the pre-match event, somebody to the post-match event, and by post-match event, I mean a drink in the bar. It doesn't matter as long as you're getting as many people involved with the club as possible, and now you're able to grow that accordingly. It's uh, how about in terms of the sponsors that come to you, right? Because sometimes, as you mentioned there, somebody will just give you a check to get rid of you, right? The, yeah. What you're what you're looking for is basically active sponsors, people who yeah. care, not to, not just sign a check and say get rid of you and that kind of thing, you know. And um, but but then on the other hand, you'll often have a financial controller that people who talk about return on investment, right? When you look at the sort of alchemy, the magic mix, how much of it is like. I give money to the Stockholm Gales and a couple of other different clubs around the place just because that's who I am. And this is, yeah. you know, it's important to me that these clubs exist, right? So they don't have to sell out to me, Anthony. I'm already there, right? Yeah. Do we make mistakes sometimes in that we take money off people, you know, off sponsors, that kind of thing, and then we just don't give them enough in return and that we lose them? 100%. Because sometimes it's almost better to plague them. Like, I... And use it in the professional term. We had that monster where I literally got one of my sponsors going, will you stop sending me an email on Friday? It's okay. You can send it to me once a month. It's fine. I don't need to know about the team sheet. I'll see it at the game. It's fine. But that's that's something that is beneficial because he now knows that we're constantly keeping updated, constantly keeping in touch. And it's making somebody feel that they're behind the curtain. So we would, I would openly say to anybody that if there's a big announcement to be made by the club, 
make sure that your stakeholders, whether that's sponsors, patrons, whether that's your main guys, make sure they know. Because we can see in some of the controversies that's happening back in our own country in the last week or two, where the anger comes from is where they where people didn't know. And they suddenly found out at the same time as everybody else. So that goes for small clubs as well. So if that's telling your players, if that's telling your... I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a new head coach coming into the Stockholm Gales. And let's say you're going to announce that on your website on Sunday. That's the announcement. Everyone's agreed. Done, signed up. He's going to come along. That's brilliant. You call a team meeting on the Friday with the, with the players. All the players meet the head coach. That's brilliant. Why can't you bring the sponsor along to that? Why can't the sponsor be in the back of the room who's standing there and being part of that, ex that experience? Why can't the sponsor feel that the night before your biggest game, so I'm assuming that would be against Malmo or Gothenburg, that he can't have dinner with the head coach? Hmm. Those are little small add-ons that may go, oh, it's a bit of a pain now, lads. But that's what the sponsorship boys want because they want to be able to feel that they're behind the curtain so that when they meet their friends and their friends say, well, we're sponsoring IFK Gothenburg, aren't we great? They can turn and go, well, we sponsor a small local club because we're into local community. And they brought me to the game last week. And I expect the coach the night before. I'm going to ring them up and see what the game, what the, the strategy is for the game. IFK Gothenburg can never offer you that. Malmo can never offer you that. You can. So it's about clubs realizing what they can offer at the big clubs can't and really monitor monitorizing that. Mm. Um, and that's that's the that's really in a nutshell what I'm trying to help these clubs with. Uh, you know, I could talk to you about these things all day because it's just it, it overlaps in so many of the things. Are you happy, Anthony? Are you happy with the decision to move to Gothenburg? Are your family happy with the decision? You mentioned there that you're going to stay here, but I think some of us stay here despite uh, the way Sweden is rather than because of it. I have met so many people who have said that, that and I, I'm not going to name names, but I met so many people who said, I'm not going home because my friends will just slag me off the second I get off the plane as a loser. Uh, no, I, I'm massively happy here. The example I, I would give is two weeks ago when I flew Theo home from Ireland and we were coming back in. So when he went over to Granny's, he loves going to his Granny's because he gets chocolate, ice cream. He gets go up the stairs, which he doesn't have here in Sweden. He gets to sleep in my mother's massive bed, loves it. Massive TV, has YouTube all day, could pretty much do what he wants. But when he flew back into Gothenburg, and I say we landed in Gothenburg, he was so excited, genuinely excited. And we got to, he knew where the car was parked in the park, car park, car park. And when we came home, it was literally like a dog who peed in the four corners. He was running around the house looking for his toys and hugging them as if they were, he'd never seen them before. And it, it really justified for me that Ireland will always be my home. I'm always from Ireland. I will always say I'm from Ireland. It's it gives me goosebumps when I see when I come into land into Dublin, Cork, or Shannon, um, and it it does give me that. But that's what my two kids and my wife have coming into Gothenburg, mm. and at the end of the day, that's more important to me in my life. My family is more important to me than anything else, and therefore, they're happy. Therefore, I'm happy. If that makes sense, and it's it's a it's a it's a way I've looked at it around my my kids coming to Gothenburg, living in Gothenburg is that. It's it's just that experience that I'm ex experiencing watching them living in a country that isn't necessarily my home, but it's something that I'm I'm unbelievably grateful for. Swedish life is different, um, without a shadow of a doubt, but it's also that that carrot of what can I do to change the DNA of the people around me in Sweden. And I hope I've done that. I'm sure my mother and father and I might disagree, but I'm sure I've, I've done that in the way I can. And I, I also I also think living in Sweden, it's it's a it's it's an amazing place that they don't even realise how amazing it is, if that makes sense.
Yeah, I think that's often the way. It's, well, it's the same thing about, about Ireland. People talk about how green it is and how beautiful it is. And she's, we don't even notice after a while, you know. And the <laughs> other thing is, I think the moment you have children, you know, you, like your life stops being about you. You know, that's it's over then. And then it becomes all about them and their happiness and what you can offer them and that kind of thing, you know. Where can people find you, Anthony? Because if they're anything like me, the first time I sat down and listened to you, I was going, I want to know more. I want to know what this bloke can do for me and for us and for our community, that kind of thing. Where can they find you and what can they? what can you do for them? So they can find me pretty much anywhere. I'm as, as open as I possibly can. So I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on, you know, Twitter seems to be exploding. So I don't know how to be on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere. The, probably the best way to get hold of me uh, is either through just an email, direct email to anthonymorrissey1 at gmail.com or by just sending stuff onto Facebook. So you'll see you'll see me under Anthony Morrissey on Facebook, but also on LinkedIn, uh, Anthony Morrissey. You'll see my lovely little face on that. Um, and by all means, anyone can contact me, any questions or any information they're looking for. Um, I'm open to any conversation about absolutely anything. I love talking, as you can see. <laughs> this, is, this is what I love about you. It's like, right, I don't even have to say anything. I just wind you up and let you off and then you can tell these things. Anthony Morrissey, ladies and gentlemen, available for absolutely anything, as he says. Are you very active on Facebook and that kind of thing? Are you in there commenting on everybody's business? Or are you just... Yeah, I'm one of those nosy guys. Even though, before you go, I have noticed one thing. The stalking website on in Sweden is is something that the Irish people don't understand either. The, that? The, that website you can go on, you find everyone's house and address. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's an unbelievably freaky thing. So I'm not on that, <laughs> but I'm pretty much on everything else. So yeah, I, I'm on I'm on the, the Facebook group. I'm on Irish Chamber of Commerce. You can find me pretty much anywhere. But the, the best place to go and try and find me is, is LinkedIn. I probably look at that on a regular basis. Brilliant. So LinkedIn is the place to go. And of course, that's a, that is the business website. That's where you'll find stuff about the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden, the great work that the likes of LCI are doing, that Colin are doing, the various other companies. Gary Lavelle's company is on there. Dan Hickey is on there. So uh, actually, I wonder, I think we do have an Irish Nordic professionals group there. We might have to blow a bit of life in that again, because uh, there's a lot of benefit to be had, especially for somebody like yourself and for myself, you know, to be reaching out to these people. But for now, Anthony Morrissey, thank you so much for talking to me about your first 14 months in Sweden. And may I wish that your next 14 months and indeed 14 years will be far more successful than even you could imagine my friend oh, brilliant Philip thanks so much for your time massively appreciate it lads that is Anthony Morrissey there go look him up put him to work do stuff with him ask him for his ideas and by God you will not regret it an amazing character altogether with a great story and just you know, as I say so much energy I just I get such a buzz out talking to him myself because he always comes up with something that you don't think of yourself you know and he has the experience from Monster Ruby. He also, if you happen to corner him in a pub someday, lads, he'll tell you stories about Monster Ruby that will turn your hair grey. They're so funny. Like, you know, it's gas crack altogether. So if you do have anything, if you have any sort of business whatsoever, if you're working in marketing, PR, communications, events, anything like that, get on to him and I promise you, you will not regret it, right? I have a favour to ask, lads. If you've been keeping an eye on the irishandsweden.com website, at least I think it's irishandsweden.com website, I put up a story there the other day. Our good friend, Kieran Blake, down below in the Mel Ardallan Brewing Company is in a bit of a hassle with the local uh, commune there, the local uh, municipality in Slingness. So many of you will know, you may have even visited it, that Kieran started a microbrewery there with a couple of people and they opened a brew pub uh, and it's a members only thing and that was to get around the Swedish licensing laws because if you're opening a bar here and you want to have a license to sell alcohol but then you have to sell food and you have to have a menu and you have to jump through this hoop and that hoop and you have to give them a kidney and the rights to your firstborn and that kind of thing so the lads opened a members only pub so they could sell their wonderful beers and what happened was there's still a whole heap of rules and conditions attached to that right so they had a couple of inspections there 
and uh, they got into trouble basically right one was that the door of the pub was open when it shouldn't have been opened which can sound a little bit ludicrous but i'm sure this this is sweden lads so there's bound to be a logic behind it and the other thing was or one of the main things was that they were selling memberships at the door right and apparently you're not allowed to do that people have to be a member before they walk in at all right so that's how the whole sort of members bar crack um, rules work right so they're in a situation now where their license to sell alcohol has been withdrawn right so mel at all brewing they still have their mental ipa they still have loads of stuff that they can sell in system below it but the problem is that the brew pub stood for about 50 percent of their turnover right and that's a lot of cash to be losing because what they were doing was the money that they were making in the brew pub was getting reinvested back into the business they had two people working for them there as bartenders and, and this kind of thing they had music going on there so they were reinvesting an awful lot of this money and it just seems like a shame for the whole thing to go south you know after they've been there for a couple of years i think they started in about 2016 i don't know exactly when the brew pub opened but i know that they had an annual St. Patrick's Day thing there with Alan McCahey, uh, who lives out in Solentuna now, a brilliant musician from uh, County Monaghan, who is a cast character. I saw him playing in Solentuna there recently, and he's trying to play Iron Maiden songs on an acoustic guitar, and you know what? It works. Brilliant. But, um, yeah, so Alan would be down there every St. Patrick's Day, and there was just a load of great things that went on there. Stockholm Gales got a bus out there and had a great night of team building with the lads. So it really would be a shame to see this go. So the favour I'm going to ask you is to go into System Belogget's website, right? Now, if you live in Slangness, or you live in Maria Hell, or no, Maria Freed, I think it's called, there, around there, Eskins Tuna, you'll find their beers on the shelves already because they're fairly popular locally, right? But if you're living in Ostersund, or if you're living in Lulio, or that kind of thing, Go into the System Belogger website, and if you just uh, in the search box there put Mela Dolan Brewer Company Brewing Company Mela Dolan, that'll do you, and that will bring up their selection of beers, right? All these handcrafted beers that they make down there. Grab a few of them, right? A few bottles, a few cans, stick them in the fridge or whatever. You'll be having your keft chiva soon enough when you're eating your crayfish and that kind of thing. And a bit of strong beer will always go down well with that. So if you can support them in that way, I'd be delighted. Much and all, you should support Keen Brewing and the rest of the lads around the country who are doing the microbrewery business, but it will be a very welcome helping hand for the boys at the moment as they decide what the next step is. I was talking to Kieran the other day and he was telling me that he thinks that the appeals process is fairly it's fairly finished now. You know, it's going to be very, very difficult to get them to reverse that decision but you never know. And actually one of the things that I heard was that on the local council, two of the members of the local council had to recuse themselves because they were members of the brew pub. They were members of the club, if you like, that uh, the, that is the brew pub down there which is such a shame because, I mean, obviously those people would know that it's not a body house lads it's not like you know you're going down there and there's people drinking and there's bare knuckle boxing going on outside it's the opposite of that it's people who appreciate really good beers uh, well made beers and a pleasant environment and good music and that kind of thing coming together so it would be a shame to lose it so Kieran Blake the Mailer Dolan Brewing Company get in there and support them on System Belogget's website if you can we are up over the hour and 12 minutes now, lads. So I'm going to leave you to it. I have another couple of interviews in the dictaphone and ready to go for the next few weeks. Uh, August 5th is Pride in Stockholm. And we'll be celebrating that the week before. We shall be drawing attention to that with a very special interview with a very special person who I discovered only lives around the corner from me here, right? In Sheesta, where I live. And this has happened before because the house that I live in now was actually lived in by Keith Hearn and his partner, Marlin. Uh, we they rented this house and then we bought it off their landlord when they moved out of here. So uh, and for for ages I didn't know that Keith was living right around the corner from me. So um, let's if you do happen to know where somebody's living, you know, stick the word out there and see if there's any other Irish people living around the corner there. But uh, I may be approaching one or two of you. Certainly Austin Gormley. I'll be trying to nab him now before uh, he heads off to South Africa and that for the exit interview with our wonderful ambassador who'll be leaving us soon enough. But I will leave it at that for this week, lads. Uh, take care of yourselves out there. Take care of one another, and I shall be back. 
next week, Monday, 7 o'clock in the morning. Forget the hammerclads. No rest for the wicked here with another episode of the Irish in Sweden podcast. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs>